wanted to talk this afternoon about something that um, it's an instruction that I've been offering a lot lately and in fact I did it this afternoon in the in the practice and that's the idea of um, the instruction of what is this which is part of the teaching of beginner's mind because it's really beneficial in practice it's the uh, it's a way of bringing yourself back to the present by bringing that curiosity and really getting rid of the cutting through the storyline and, and, and bringing full attention to what is the experience in this moment. It's a really beneficial practice. And so what I wanted to do is investigate what some of the, what some of the teachers have talked about when they talk about this. And it's generally a Zen practice. Um, Suzuki Roshi is, I think, the, the main uh, person we associate with it because of his book, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. But I wanted to see, my tradition is Theravada, my tradition is Thai forest, and so I wanted to uh, see what, um, what any teachers there had to say about it. And I had this idea in my mind that Tanisaro Bhikkhu, Tan Jeff, said like, no, no such thing, because he can be a little vehement sometimes about stuff. So I wanted to see what he said about it. And he actually is, he, he actually um, really is a proponent of the idea of beginner's mind. And he talks about it in a way that is, it's really about letting go of the agenda. As again, is another instruction I offered in meditation. It's about really being present with what's happening right now. It's letting go of anything, any agenda, any preconceived notions, anything you have figured out beforehand. Because we are beings who have preconceived notions, whether we're aware of them or not, or whether we're aware of our biases. And so it's to really make the effort to be present for what's right here. He says it's not that we start out like, like babies who have no awareness of anything. We have the wisdom that we bring with us, but we let go of, um, of the idea of what's supposed to happen. So we're not relearning anything, but we, we're holding our present time experience with that wisdom that we've brought with us. And so there's a sense of discerning. And this moves into what he also talks about, which is really beneficial in this teaching, which is the idea of inquisitive doubt, which I really like because I think it's really, really helpful. Inquisitive doubt. So there's doubt, which is a hindrance. And that doubt is the, uh, what does this mean? Can I do this? What are these teachings? It's all nonsense, blah, blah, blah. Why bother? That is, it's not that flavor of doubt. It's a different kind of doubt. It's the, the not taking your ideas for granted, but saying, is this true? Is this true or is this just another old idea? I, um, I often used to say, and this was true very often for me, much less so now, thankfully, is that my mind and reality were in two different rooms. If we were on Zoom and I could move my hand into a different box, that would be what it would be like. They were just in two, I'd be walking around with this idea of how the world was and, and reality would be happening over here. And so this inquisitive doubt is to stop and take that idea and go, is this really true? And so we have to begin to question our beliefs and start bringing a fresh idea. It's, it's, it's a shifting 
of our perspective of what things actually mean, which is really important. Um, because we do, we're conditioned beings. We bring our conditioning with us and, and it's deep. And it's the water we swim in that we're not really aware of. So when we ask the question, what is this? That's that inquisitive doubt that has a flavor of that. That beginner's mind is like, I don't know anything, you know, teach me. Um, And we have to keep, have to be willing to continue to look again and again and again and again. It's not just we get it once and we're done. It's this this deeper inquiry what is this is that true what is this is that true going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper um he also talks about trying on new things with so beginner's mind we get into these habitual patterns of thinking these i and i am a creature of habit i have eaten the same thing for breakfast i think for the last two and a half years i ate oatmeal for breakfast for i think like five and a half years and then one day i said i'm done and then i moved into something different i have a piece of bread with peanut butter and an orange and i've been eating that for like two and a half years so it's like, it's just, so um, I'm, I'm a habitual person. So my thinking goes along those same lines. I, it's always been this way. So it's always going to be this way. And, and that's not, obviously that's not true. And I can be disproved time and time again, but the mind still goes there. And so what we have to really go stop when we go, wait a minute, stop. What is this? Stopping, pausing. And saying, maybe it's different. Maybe it won't be terrible. Maybe it'll be a different outcome. Because we, like I said, we have these 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 patterns. You ever have have a, a, a close relationship with someone, a, a, a maybe a, a, an intimate partner or a, a friend that you've had for a long time, and you have these these different lines of argument that you get into, and it's almost as if you don't even have to have the conversation because you know where it's going to end up. And so this is saying maybe try something different, and the same thing goes for looking at the past differently. It's like we get these, I get these ideas, and I think it's true for many of us, we have this idea of what it was like in the past, or what we were like in the past, and we've created these stories and say, is that really true? I look back, at, I see my life in a rearview mirror. It's like I, when I was going through it, I was caught up in my conditioning. I was caught up in my emotions of fear and craving and greed and, and aversion and delusion, lots and lots of delusion for me growing up and, and long into my 20s and 30s. I was like, Whoa, I saw the world a particular way and you couldn't talk me out of it. And now I look back and I go, wow, again, me and reality were in two different rooms, maybe sometimes two different states. And so saying, wow, maybe it's not true. And so be willing to let go of our sweet, cherished ideas. I, I used to keep a lot of journals. I kept a lot of journals. I, I, I spent a lot of time overseas, um, studying overseas and doing some work overseas. And so I kept journals. And I will sit here, you and I can have a conversation next week, and I will tell you about something that happened. And then I'll go, wait, let me go get the journal. And I'll pull it out and go, oh, wait, that's not what happened at all. But, you know, it's it, Rick Hansen talks about this. Rick Hansen, who wrote Buddha's Brain and 
hardwiring happiness. He's a neuroscientist, and so he really has a the neuroscientific take on what's happening in the mind when we do these things. And it's these memories kind of get glommed onto other memories, and they shift and they move into different directions. So we can swear by something, but it may not be true. So can we let go of our attachment? One more time, it's attachment. I came out of a retreat a number of years ago, and the one line I came out of it with, I think it was a 10-day retreat about on emptiness, and my, my, the one line I was, clinging is suffering. Clinging is suffering. So if we cling to these cherished ideas, it's suffering. So can we let go of those old ideas? So see the past different. See the past, excuse me, differently really important. And then another one that's really, I think, is a cute thing that, that he talks about is be willing to, you know, if you're sitting and you're practicing and you're bored with your breath, begin to um, begin to play around with your practice. Um, see, see if you can imagine, and I think this happens with, sometimes I give the instruction, experience the body breathing. And that lands um strangely for some people because they've never thought about the whole body breathing it's just the chest and the lungs but I know Tan Jeff offers that teaching and I and I think I heard it when I was on a retreat at Damadina a number of years ago that might be the first place I heard it was the body breathing you know just imagine imagine different scenarios um it just I I, I when I remember when I started yoga a million years ago and you would be in a pose and it would be really painful because you hadn't moved those muscles in that way ever before and the teacher said breathe into the muscle and you're like that's weird but it worked so to really experiment with um, uh, making things interesting being curious trying something different so that's what Tan Jeff means when he talks about beginner's mind which I think are really really helpful things and then as I mentioned um, Suzuki Roshi there's a book and it's actually he didn't actually write the book Zen Mind Beginner's Mind it's a collection of some of his lectures that were um, collected I, and this was published the book was published after he died but he talks a lot about this beginner's mind and he talks about um, the idea of a small mind and a big mind and a small mind is this limited really really um, small view of seeing the world and I used to talk about having a pea brain um, my mind was about this big and my whole world existed inside of it and it was my conditioning it was it was my implicit bias it was what I my implicit memory the memories I had that kind of colored my outlook on the world that I didn't even know were there um, Rick Hansen talks about that eloquently as well the the things that drive us our deep conditioning our fa familial conditioning our cultural conditioning all those things that we don't see but we can't break through because we're not asking the questions we're not paying attention but this practice brings us to a place of beginning to investigate that small mind and begin to see that um, our minds are 
when we're in that small mind, it's all a place of ego and I and and that and fear emo- and emotions and driven by all these different things. So instead of um, and things are bad and things are good and we label and we judge and we get caught in these fixed ideas and the the invitation with the practice is to, again, let go. To cling is to suffer. So the invitation is to let go, let go, let go, let go, let go. So we have to let go, recognize these fixed ideas, recognize these agendas. That's why the curiosity in practice, because the curiosity in practice about looking at where our habits of mind take us into that future, to that planning mind, got to make sure it's all okay, or into the past, that, that, interaction yesterday was really painful and so we we spend a lot of time in our minds trying to um, make it turn out differently I don't know if you do that but I've done that or we have conversations with people who are not present making our point or practicing to make our point and I, I, I realized a few years ago I spent a lot of time talking to people who weren't there because I wanted to, it was like, if some, if I did something good or if I accomplished something or I got a, 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 t- a pat on the back from someone, I wanted to make sure important people in my life saw it or I told them about it. So I would practice telling them about it so they would think I was a good person too. It was all, coming from this great place of lack, this, this conditioned not enoughness. That's one of my deep, deep things. Um, uh, things that I deal with. Um, And so I was like, wow, I spent all my time living in some fantasy, planning to make sure I was okay. Instead of just letting go, because that's all made up. That's fabricated mind. That's taking something that's unpleasant or, or an emotion that feels unpleasant and building on top of it to try and make sure we're okay. Looking out there. So when we're in small mind, we're looking out there to make sure it's all okay. But Suzuki Roshi says we have to move into big mind, the larger mind, which is when we're open to the unfolding of life without the hindrances present. So when we're in the small mind, we're trapped in the hindrances of greed and hatred and delusion. You know, the defilements are very active. Um, we, 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 we want what we want when we want it and don't take it away from us or whatever that is. And he says, we have to really become, um, open to just being with what's arising. He talks about it like, um, uh, uh, waves in an ocean or waves on the water. It just the 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 sensations, the the feelings, whatever the the thoughts, the physical sensations, the sounds, the odors. They arise and they pass. They arise and they pass, and we just make space for them. Instead of being this constricted small mind, we're this we're this um, open, spacious being. Um, and he says, let's see, and here he says. The purpose is to see things as they are, to observe things as they are, and to let everything go as it goes. What else is there? I mean, there's a lot of other things, but when you really drill it down, see things as they are, observe things as they are, and let everything go as it goes. 
he says we're like also we're just it's just like a swinging door things just open and close it just comes and goes it just comes and goes and he also talks about um, when we're able to do this perfect calmness is attained by letting the mind the mind images and thoughts come and go like I said they just come and go see things as they are without preconceptions we see things as they are without preconceptions um, so that is kind of uh, the idea about what is this not the preconceived notions not the agenda not the the uh, needing things to be a certain way but the letting things open up and then one other teacher that I was looking at who talked about this is Stephen Batchelor who I really like I really like what Stephen Batchelor uh, his writing and he talks about it in his book after Buddhism and he he really gets into it and he says the beginner's mind when we ask the question what is this he says it's an uncompromising inquiry into what is going on at any given moment it's an uncompromising inquiry into what's going on at any given moment this entails the suspension of all views and that's one of the one of the uh, 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 fetters that we let go of in when as you move into stream and stream entry is letting go of fixed views when we're able to be open to whatever is it's it's incredibly powerful it's incredibly powerful and I, I'm sure you've all had moments of that I'm sure you've all had moments of fighting reality and I like to say no one wins a fist fight with reality so we've had you've had moments of fighting reality and then you've had moments of just being open this practice that you've had moments of equanimity of being able to be with whatever shows up without being blown away by it or blown over by it and then he says something else which I think is really incredibly important and he says it's very similar to what Suzuki Roshi was saying but in a different way he says there is no arrival there is just a continual unfolding and that goes against the grain of how we how our minds work I think we want to we want to arrive we want to get to a place we want to have closure um, there's a man called William Bridges who uh, he passed away about 20 years ago I think but he wrote a book around 1980 called transition transitions transition and then he wrote another one around in the late 90s called the way of transition and his basic premise it's they're both incredibly good books the second one the way of transition was really powerful and he talks about he's not Buddhist but it's it's like yeah that's Buddhist as far as I'm concerned it's like all Buddhist teaching anyway he says that you know when when something ends we immediately want to move on to the next thing and we ignore that we're there's a there's a place of transition that we have to deal with there's a place of groundlessness that has to be that has to be honored and has to be dealt with when we don't we we get um, 
we suffer the ramifications of not paying attention to reality. And we are in one of those transitions right now. You know, the pandemic shut everything down so much that what we knew that so much of our normal ended and people are scrambling to get to the other side. This place of being in grounded groundlessness is incredibly painful for a lot of people. And so what we have to do is honor that place of not knowing, of not being grounded. And maybe uh, an understanding that we're never going to get to a place, well, whew, we're finally here. Because, you know, you think you've gotten there, but there's always something else. And there's, you know, there's, there's the teaching in Buddhism about the relative and the absolute. There's the relative, which is what we're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. And then there's the absolute idea of impermanence and no self um, and, and the, the unsatisfactoriness of life. But then there's what we're dealing with each day. There's our conditioning and and um, uh, the reality of existence. So that's what we're working with. So we feel that we've arrived, you know, and, and we, you know, I have a home and I'm probably going to wake up here tomorrow morning and I have a partner and, and various things that I, that I know are going to, that I believe are going to um, continue. Yet I have to also understand that, that I'm not, I haven't arrived at some place. And so I think that's an important an important point that people forget or are not aware of. We that and the mind is continually trying to find that place. We're trying to figure it out all the time. That that accomplishment will be good, or that whatever it is that craving, or if I can only get rid of this, then we'll be safe. If the election turns out a particular way, then everything will be good. And we've and I think it's important to recognize that we've all gotten something that we wanted in our lives. Every single one of us has gotten at least one thing, big, small, whatever, that we really wanted. But we none of us, I would I would hes, um, I would guess going out on a limb here. None of us have lived happily ever after. There's always something. I mean, we, I, I believe that through this practice, we are able to come to a place of ease, moving into a place of equanimity. That's been my experience. So I'm much more able to deal with these transitions than I, have, I was 20, 30, 40 years ago. Thankfully, this practice has, has offered me that. Um, but it's through doing the work, but it's, I'm never, you know, if I get, I haven't, okay, I'm going to tell you, um, you know, I was laughing. My husband usually goes to Burning Man and obviously there's no Burning Man this year. And that would be two weeks where he would be out of the house and I would just be sitting around eating potato chips and eating murder mysteries. Well, he's been home and he hasn't been gone and I haven't been sitting around eating potato chips and reading murder mysteries. And I found myself yesterday going, if I could only just sit around and eat, if I could just have potato chips for dinner tonight and just read a murder mystery, I'm yearning for that. I'm yearning for that. I'm, and then I realized, and would you live happily ever after? And I'm like, no, of course not. 
So I have to recognize this sensation of craving that was there and missing out on something because of whatever. And then bring the what is this mind and let it go. So that's really, that's really important. So anyway, um, one other thing that um, um, Bachelor says is he, he talks about a... Um, uh, a Chinese, a Chinese sutta, and it's a story about a sage, a wise man who uh, he responds. The, the 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 end of the story is that the outcome of the story about this sage, this wise man, is that the sage responds spontaneously to life from the perspective of his ground, rather than the hesitant standpoint of his place. Meaning that the sage responds spontaneously to life from the perspective of his ethical grounding rather than his viewpoint and his points of view. And I take this to mean that these teachings, this, this eightfold path, this teaching of wise action, this, this place of integrity, and this path, this, this path of harmony that allows us to be in harmony with the world and the, our experience, we, we act from that with equanimity without being knocked over by, by the defilements, by greed, by hatred, by delusion, but we can be present. We can be present and solid on our ground without being uh, impacted by our views, our ideas of what should or shouldn't happen or whether you're wrong or right or uh, good enough, not good enough, whatever the judging mind has, you know, the conditioning has told us we can move beyond that and let it go. Um, that's really important. So this teaching or this invitation to practice beginner's mind, what is this right now, is a practice that leads to equanimity. And equanimity is the, the, the culmination of so many lists. It's the culmination of the, the Brahma Viharas, the heart practices. It's the culmination of um, uh, the seven factors of awakening, of the paramis. And it's a place, it's that place of balance where we respond spontaneously and appropriately to whatever shows up. And I love the definition of um, equanimity that says, we have a deep intimacy with our experience without preference. A deep intimacy with our experience without preference for it to be different from what it is. Which when you think about that, it's, it's extraordinary and it's such a place of freedom. There's so much freedom if we can be present for our own experience without needing it to be different. And um, that's kind of how I, I, you know, some of you have heard me talk about the undefended heart, which is how a lens through which I kind of view the world of how do I chip away at that conditioning? You know, how do I chip away at that conditioning? What did, what's the phrase, um, the, the, there's a phrase that says, we are entangled in this thicket of views. I love that, this thicket, which like the brambles. Those of you in the desert, you know those, 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 those bushes that you go get caught on, you're walking, and then all of a sudden you know your, your clothes are stuck on it. That thicket, 
that our that our views are all these stories in our head that sometimes are contradictory but we believe both of them at the same time and when we think about them and start investigating going what is this it's like oh it doesn't even make sense what is this it doesn't make sense so we start chipping away and we and and we open up our hearts it's the, the cultivation of wisdom and the cultivation of compassion. That's what this path is, wisdom and compassion. And so um, moving through this, how do we put this to use today? I think it's really, um, it's really important right now, at least in my experience, when I'm talking about today, I mean today, I mean September 2020, I mean 2020. Because our experience, our emotions, our sensitivity, our emotions are so close to the surface. And uh, so many of us are so raw because there's so much, right now there's so much violence in, happening um, that's in our faces. There's so much hatred. There's so much anger. There's so much loss. There's so much pain. There's a lot of joy, too. I do want to acknowledge that it's not all bleak. We have to acknowledge whatever's present. And so, you know, the other day, uh, last week, I saw a thing from um, that local animal shelter. I live in Burbank, and, the, and it said, dogs love ice in the hot weather. They love to chew on ice. I did not know that. And they said, so if you're in the market and you're thinking about it, grab a bag of ice and drop it off at the shelter. And I live like five blocks from the animal shelter, so I was at the supermarket. And I grabbed a bag, a couple of bags of ice, and I dropped them off. They had a, a donation bin, and somebody, while I was walking away, came out and said, oh, thank you, and I immediately started sobbing. I just started crying. And I had a lot of those experiences over a number of days, over three or four days, really random, simple things like that that had me sobbing and I went okay it's not about the dogs it's not about this whatever it is and I go what is this I had to stop and really say what is this because the mind is saying oh you're so sensitive you're just thinking about those little puppies or those old senior dogs who nobody loves and blah, blah, blah. those are the stories and I had to really drill down what is this and what when I was calm and got rid of the small mind and was able to open up to whatever was arising, there was this sense of great mourning and great grief. You know, we have to tend to the grief that's present. We have to tend to the emotions that are right here. So asking the question, what is this? Not coming into it with our mind's habitual thinking, putting them, letting the mind go there and come to underneath, making space for something to arise. Um, I was listening, Bhikkhu Bodhi is teaching a retreat this weekend back east, an Abhidhamma retreat, and it's online. And I, I haven't been, I've been busy, so I haven't been able to sit in on a lot of lectures, but I caught a bit of one this morning, and he was talking about you have to connect to the body and when you're connected to the body, that gives you the foundation to then allow the mind to come into play. So you have to get rid of the, I'm, ex, I'm taking that based on my experience, putting away the fixed views, my ideas of 
what's going to happen or what this actually means. You know, I know what things mean. I don't know what things mean. That's just my making stuff up. Letting those stories aside and coming into the physical sensations. What does it feel like? And sometimes, you know, something will arise that was never in my mind. I wasn't thinking about grief or mourning, but that's what showed up. And it was like, oh, yeah, that's actually it. That's actually it. And so paying attention to that, paying attention to that. And my girlfriend had a, an experience recently. I was talking to her. I've known her for over 40 years. We were roommates in college. And she said she had found a kitten that um, I was like a day or two old. And she tried to take care of it. And it, it only lived like a day. And her response to it was like overwhelmingly um out of proportion to what the thing you would imagine the and you would imagine the um, response should be, and she spent some time going, okay, what is this? What is this? What is this? And what came up for her was a memory she had totally forgotten about when she was 18 or 17. She accidentally hit a dog whose owner had let it off its leash and it died. And she went home and told her mom and her mom immediately lit into her about what a terrible person she was and a lousy driver. She was going to kill children if she wasn't careful. And so that was like traumatic for her. And that is that colors that implicit memory that got stuffed down colored her view of experiences. So, and so this, this, this self-loathing, this anger with self that would come up, which, you know, so many of us carry so many of these stories that we're not aware of, this practice enables us to slow down and make space to touch into that by quieting, quieting the mind. You know, Ajahn Chah, the, the, the very wise monk in the Thai, from Thailand in the last century, said, you know, it's like a still forest pool when you quiet the mind. It's amazing what animals come to drink. And what was that? That was that um, Suzuki Roshi said, the perfect calmness, which is attained by letting the stories go, putting aside the fixed ideas and the fixed views and be present you know, be willing to touch the painful things that are there. We make up stories about why we can't, that we'll be overwhelmed. That's just a story. Put your toe in the water. Be willing to say, what is this? Do it with someone you trust. If, if it's a bit much to do it over being um, on your own. We don't have to do this alone, which is why we're in Sangha together, which is why we take refuge in community. You know, people we trust, people who are wise, who can offer us things. So um, this, this practice of what is this beginner's mind is a practice to, is an invitation to move towards touching, opening up, chipping away of that armor around your heart. Of, of being willing to be intimate. It's a way to begin to be intimate with your deepest experience. What is this? What is this? What is this? And so uh, what I want to uh, invite you to do, I'm not gonna, I don't want to take the time right now because I want to make space for um, questions, but you know, if you have some time, think about um, um, 
some difficulty that you're having, some, not the worst possible. We don't start with the worst, although our mind wants to take us to the worst. But just think about some difficulties you're having and, and, and watch what the mind does with it. It creates thoughts or this or that. And let's see if you can put those thoughts aside and just be with the experience. You know, tend to the physicality of um, your emotions. That's how you begin to move and get access into them. So anyway, I'm just blah, 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 going on and on and on and on and on and on. So um, that those are my thoughts on um, being being present, being um, utilizing beginner's mind and asking, what is this? What is this? What is this? It's a tool to it's a tool to inside. It's a it's a it's a tool to the uh, uh, it's a tool to get to equanimity. So. With that, are there any questions, my friends? Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.